Father, thank you so much for this day, and God, thank you for your grace and your love. And as we as we return to a passage we started looking at a couple of weeks ago, uh, God, I, I pray that we would uh, we would just. Uh, uh, just focus on really what it truly means to be uh, one of uh, your children and called uh, to faith uh, by you. And so, um, God, and what those results are in our life, uh, not only in, in, in the days we are here, but all the, also in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all stay in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me just read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God or His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into, into His light. So uh, I love that idea that, that we are chosen. Man, uh, last night I was sitting at a Lovejoy baseball game uh, uh, that, that I was sitting over there. My son plays at Lovejoy, and um, right uh, there was a guy pitching for Forney. He wasn't pitching for us, a lefty that throws the ball about 90 miles an hour. All right, he's uh, uh, and as you saw people walking in, we're sitting there in the middle. You got guys that are just rolling in. They all have backpacks on, and Gina's like, "Who are all of these guys?" And I said, "They're scouts." All right. And so literally about 12 scouts walk in. They kind of collegial nature, drove up, just a bunch of individual guys. Looked like, looked like y'all going to the game. Guys like you just showing up to a game, backpack, no one. And, uh, and I go, just wait. So they, every one of them had a backpack. I said, just wait until the game gets started. And I said, you'll know that they're scouts. She goes, really? Maybe they're just people from Forney. I said, no, they are scouts. Trust me. And uh, so as soon as we get up, uh, we're the home team, and uh, this kid for Forney uh, is, um, is, is pretty, pretty salty. He's pretty good. Uh, you know, we start off, we're the home team. They're over at Lovejoy. We, nothing happens, all right? As soon as this guy rolls out, we get him up, out, one, two, three. He runs out on the mound. All these guys unzip, and they got these radar guns that they stick out, all right? Every one of these guys, and she goes... They're scouts. I go, get behind me, woman. And uh, so uh, we're, uh, we're, she just moved a little further away. Uh, but it was kind of interesting. And then all, and what was funny is she's sitting there talking to a bunch of her lady friends, and then they all kind of went, are those scouts? Oh, those? And then, so what they started doing, they all started taking pictures of the radar guns sitting there with this guy. And so they're sitting there looking at him, and this kid goes up there on the mound, and you can tell he's noticed when they're introducing the players, he has noticed there's a load of scouts. I mean, I'm just kind of watching this kid. Okay, he bats fourth for, for Forney. Uh, he's a lefty. He's, by the way, anybody here in Aggie? Uh, he's committed to A&M. Uh, you'll never see him down there. Uh, he'll get signed. Uh, but he went out there the first inning, and instead of pitching, he started chunking. He started throwing the radar gun. Lovejoy hammered him. He ended up giving up two runs, had runners on second and third. That's his first time out there. He hit 92 on the gun. All right? That's pretty impressive for a lefty still in high school because these guys are sitting there going, we can work with his mechanics, get another two to three miles, miles an hour out of him. Second inning, he started pitching. I'm sitting there watching the radar gun. He never hits higher than 88. But it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Stop trying to show off, started pitching. Guess what? If you know anything about pitching, sometimes when you try to throw it as hard as you can, that ball just flattens out. 
that's why guys can sit up there and they can roll and they get run this guy in from the like in major leagues remember in major leagues they run this guy in from the bullpen that's got these crazy hair and stuff and he's throwing 101 miles an hour and someone hits it into the seat you know sometimes especially with a lefty the best thing they can do is just relax stop throwing it so hard and that ball just starts doing this number and so he started putting it on it but so he he's probably i don't know if we'll ever see him in the big leagues you know, he's still a Tommy John surgery away. <laughs> you know, uh, he's uh, some other injury away. He he was their starting pitcher. He batted fourth. You know, just like all of you guys. That's the way y'all were. Throwing the ball 90 miles, 92 miles an hour when you were in high school, batting fourth, and you were the star quarterback and all of that stuff. Uh, but the reality of it is, Forney's got a right-hander that'll pitch against Lovejoy on Friday night in Forney. If you've got no other, nothing else to do, either a root canal or drive to Forney, it's about the same thing. Uh, I'm not anti-Forney. I'm anti-the drive to Forney. Uh, they've got a righty that throws mid-90s. So... Those same, same scouts or different scouts will be looking at him now. The difference between a lefty throwing 90 and a righty better throw 95. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. But here, here's what we know is they were there looking at something because he's special. Let me tell you what. My son is a lefty. He throws left-handed. My son may or may not ever throw 90 miles an hour as a lefty. But I'm sitting there going, now, look, what's the difference between this inning and that inning? And he goes, no, I said, no, look at the radar gun. I said, he's not throwing to the radar gun this inning. He's pitching. He's making the ball move. He's throwing the ball. He didn't hit 88, but we couldn't touch his ball. He, in the second inning, he got all three of his pitchers over for strike. He's got a change. He's got a curve. He's got a fastball, all three. First inning, man, he, he would rear back and throw 192, and that catcher's catching that ball up here. What is he doing? He's just showing off for that gun. He's just showing those guys what we have. Here's the reality. He's, cho he's special. I never had that talent. I never had that talent. I, my kid will never have that natural talent. He might be good. He'll never. I, I'm telling you, if my son goes plays in college, he, he will play in college. He's not going to be the guy that has 13 scouts sitting there his senior year trying to decide where are we going to take him in the first round, all right? But that kid's special. Now, he's worked hard, but he also has some natural ability. Now, as you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we're special. Once we accept Christ as Savior and Lord, he says, but you are a chosen race. You've been drafted. God drafted you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, God chose you. Now, he didn't cho choose you because you batted forth, because you were the star quarterback. He chose you because he loves you, all right? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people or a person, a man of God's own possession, that you may do something. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into, an, into his marvelous light. A lot of people love to focus on the fact that I've chosen, that I've been called, that I'm royal priesthood, that I'm God's child. They love to talk about that. But the latter part of the verse is the purpose. Why did God choose us? So that I would spend my life proclaiming the excellencies of the God who called me out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Does that make sense? That, that not, God doesn't save you and save me so that I can bask in forgiveness, that I can celebrate God's grace, that I can know someday I'm going to be spend eternity in heaven. Now, let me tell you what. That's a great thing. 
Being forgiven is a great thing. Man, having an attorney set in heaven is a great thing where we don't have to deal, deal with all this junk in this world. But here's a reality, guys. Between here and there, we've got a job to do. And our job to do is in every place, in every space, and in everywhere is to proclaim the excellencies of the God who called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Does that make sense? My job is not to just celebrate that I'm going to heaven. My job is to tell everybody I come into contact with where I'm going and that I want them to join me there. Man, that's what this week is about, Resurrection Sunday. We love Christmas Eve. Why do we love Christmas Eve? Because, man, our kids are excited, our grandkids are excited, all of those things. Everybody comes around. We love those ideas, the presents. It's all beautiful. But let me tell you what. Jesus didn't come to give us Christmas Eve services. He came to give us resurrection services. Jesus didn't come so we can remember him as a baby. Jesus came so we can remember that the brutality he experienced on the cross, the cup that he prayed over and over again uh, about in the garden. He says, if you remember the focus in the garden, how many of you remember the focus of Jesus after he just washed the disciples' feet? He went on, took them to the garden. After he was standing there, he says, guys, hang here. I want you all to pray. I'm going to go a little further and pray. He took Peter, James, and John. And went a little further along, and then he stopped those guys and said, Hey, y'all hang here. I'm going to go a little further and pray. How many of you remember he went and prayed? What happened when he came back? What were they doing? They were dozing off, just like you guys do in my sermons on Sunday morning. I feel like just like Jesus. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding, kidding about that. Uh, uh, but y'all do sleep. Um, either that or y'all are awesome prayers. Uh, so anyway, you know, Jesus comes back and says, Guys, dude, I've just told you that the time has come that I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. As a matter of fact, remember when we just had the Lord's Supper and I washed your feet and we shared our last meal? Notice there's only 11 of y'all in the garden. Why is there only 11? Because I looked at Judas and said, go do your business because the time has come. As so we walk out to the garden, I ask you to pray after all I've done for you. I ask you to pray. I roll off, come back, and you're copping Z's. And I do it again and I do it again. But how many of you remember what he prayed for? Jesus said, let this cup pass. Seems like an odd thing to pray about when you're about to head to the cross. Why in all three prayers did Jesus say, let this cup pass? Why all of a sudden the fixation on the cup? If you don't know and if you want to go search it, it's because Jesus, although he knew that time was coming, knew that the cup that was being referenced there, if you go in the Old Testament, it's the cup of God's wrath. That if you go look in Ezekiel and you look in Psalms and you look in Isaiah and you look throughout the Old Testament, when God is about to pronounce judgment on a nation or an evil people, 
It's oftentimes referenced. It's God is going to empty his cup of wrath on a nation or an evil people. Now, when you look at this, and by the way, this is a bit of a preview from Easter. For Easter. I'm not going to preach necessarily Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to preach on Jesus' prayer in the garden. Here you have that Jesus, who's been telling his disciples over and over and over again that the purpose of his coming was not to make lame men walk, was not to make the blind see, was not to feed the 5,000, was not to walk on water. It wasn't even to calm the seas. Jesus came to endure the wrath of God against the sinfulness of mankind. As a matter of fact, if you look at the garden, it's the last time you've looked at the garden, you can see it in all four Gospels, it almost seems like Jesus gets out of character, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus has been bold in the face of the Pharisees. He's been bold in the face of the Sadducees. When people said, you know, mocked him, he said, that's okay. Man, when Jesus didn't have a place for his head to lay down, he said, that's okay. Over and over again, he said, hey, listen, I came to be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be nailed on a cross, right? Over and over again, Jesus had said that. But it seems like in the garden he prays, Father, if there's any other way, Take this cup from me. Doesn't that kind of seem out of character? I mean, if you, maybe y'all haven't read it lately, that all of a sudden I would have thought, you know, Jesus kind of John Wayneed it in the garden, right? Bring it on. But he asked the Father, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. I think the beauty of that is it demonstrates the real humanity of Christ. That's why if you go look over in Hebrews, right of the book of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest that cannot understand our weaknesses. See, Jesus is just like you and me. How many of you know you're going to die someday? Good. If somebody didn't raise their hand, somebody whisper to them, you're going to die. All right, let me ask you a question. What if all of a sudden I told you, by the way, you are going to die someday. It's going to be in 30 minutes. There's going to be some guys in here. They're going to come in. They're going to bring you up here, and they're going to strip your skin off while you're alive. They're going to pour hot oil on your body, and they're going to poke your eyes out. They're going to start pulling your toenails off. How many of you all of a sudden would get a little bitter and a little nervous? Now, we all know we're going to die. Jesus knew that in a matter of short hours, Judas was going to roll back into that garden and his pure suffering was going to stop. And the physical pain, the physical pain that he was about to go through, the emotional pain of watching Peter who had said, Lord, even if all these knuckleheads deny you, I won't deny you. The emotional pain of seeing someone he loved so much deny him once, twice, Third time, cock-a-doodle-doo. All of his disciples he had loved so much depart from him and leave him. Only a bunch of women standing around. Boy, just shame for us guys. That emotional pain, that relational pain, 
then he's being scourged, then he's going to have that crown of thorns put in his head, then he's going to be laid, then he get told to carry his own cross. The physical fatigue, the emotional fatigue, the blood that is drained out is nothing compared to when he's nailed to that cross and the cup of God's wrath is poured on him in a way that you and I will never have to experience. Jesus in his humanity prayed. I've read all the stories. I've got a Ph.D. I've read a bunch of highfalutin theologians try to say, well, Jesus wasn't really asking for this cup to be passed away. And I'm like, then you're saying he wasn't human. You're saying he wasn't like you and me. Now, he wasn't like you and me because he didn't sin, and I know you, (laughs) and I know me. But he also was. He was 100% God and 100% man, and his humanity was welling to the surface. That he is going to be torn to shreds physically, but also spiritually. And he was going to experience a wrath of God for the sins of the world that would offer forgiveness for everybody who had ever lived and had ever sinned. Jesus said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Now, he followed it by saying, but not my will, may your will be done. And he ends up going to the cross. Because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we can look back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you now are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. So if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, this is what we looked at last week, uh, two weeks ago. And here's what we said. What does it mean to be called up to salvation, to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood? This is what I looked at last week. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, pick up, begin reading in uh, verse 3. He says, Praise uh, or bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in His great mercy He gives us a new birth, that salvation, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept for you where? In heaven, who through faith is shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have a new birth. We've been saved. We have what? We have a certain salvation that is reserved for us in heaven. So what we talked about last week, and we talked about being called up to the major leagues, uh, man, salvation offers great benefits. Here were the ones that I shared. A new birth, a totally forgiven birth. I love what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, and such were some of you who were dead in your trespasses and sin, but now have been made alive together with Christ through His Spirit. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Man, so one of the benefits of salvation is we get a new birth. Man, all the junk that I've done physically, man, I get forgiveness for all of that. A new birth, I become a child of God. Not only that, we have a living hope. That idea of a living hope, a hope isn't something I'm going to experience someday that in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of dark days, in the midst of hardship, what? 
God gives us, because of our salvation, a living hope. That means a living, active, breathing hope. Uh, when you're going through chemotherapy, when you're going through the loss of a loved one, when you're out of a job, man, I can have a living hope that God is still on his throne and he's taking care of me. This is also, a, we have a guaranteed contract. I love that right there in verse 4. An inheritance for you that can never perish, uh, never fade, never spoil, never go away. And what? It's protected by God's power. It's not protect, protected and backed by the U.S. government. It's not protected by, um, man, some, uh, uh, some, some security firm. It's not protected by a SWAT team. It's not protected by uh, the Marines, although they would do a great job. Uh, it's not protected by any. It's protected by the power of God, and that's exactly what we see in verse 5. Who through faith are shielded by God's power. So our salvation, our ultimate inheritance is given to us and made certain to us by God who protects it. All right, so that's the first half of my salvation. And we saw it right there. Now, so when, when a guy gets called up to the major leagues, how many of you know what the average major league salary is going to be this year in major league baseball? Somebody venture to guess. guess. Huh? You're getting close to the average um, minimum salary. What's the average salary, probably, of, of someone who will start on a ma average, not everybody, major league roster, take all the major league rosters. Somebody take a guess. About $4.15 million is the average. How many of y'all make that? That, that'll be the average salary. Now, the minimum salary is going to be right around $750,000 when they start this year. You've got a lot of $20 million contracts, $19 million, even $30 million contracts. But the average salary of a player on a major league roster will be, if you take top to bottom, when they open up, will be over $4 million. Last year it was 4.1. 2017 is 4.1. They haven't come out with the numbers. They're just guessing right now. Now, that ain't a bad gig. They have guaranteed contracts, right? Well, let me ask you a question. So we talked about this guy from Forney. Uh, let's say he gets signed. Somebody's got a guaranteed contract, right? Anybody ever see somebody, once they get a guaranteed contract, once they, once they win the Cy Young, once they sign a eight-year, $800 billion contract, that means the next time they step on the mound, everybody strikes out, right? We wish, Right? How many people ever play to those contracts? Because just because they get signed doesn't mean they will go through, won't go through difficulties. It's the same way with our faith. We've got a guaranteed contract. Our salvation is secure, our forgiveness is permanent, and our home is ultimately in heaven. But just because we're believers doesn't mean I'm protected from hardships and difficulties in this world. Mark and I were sharing just a few minutes ago, as I told you, he works off on oil rigs. Man, since we've seen him last, uh, go through last year working on oil, oil rigs, guess what? There are good times to work on oil rigs and there are bad times. Does that be right, Mark? Uh, last year was not a good year. He got dropped down and got drifted on, got set off to the side for a while. Man, they're looking for food. They're looking for, and then guess what? Now it's coming back up. 
but that means he goes away for a while. In the midst of that, in January, he lost his wife. Was it your wife's grandmother, a grandfather that passed away? Yeah, 87 years old. Doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficulties, right? Doesn't mean, guys, just because you love Jesus and love God doesn't mean you're not going to get cancer someday. It doesn't mean you're not going to lose your, lose your job someday. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through broken kids and broken relationships and hard times. And that's where we go on and read on. So if you pick it up, uh, look at look beginning in verse 6. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In all this greatly rejoice. In all what? Well, first of all, the salvation, the forgiveness, the eternal hope. But also in all this is referring to, that's a transitional phrase, to what he's about to say. Well, what is he about to say? He says, In all this rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What does that mean? Those believers he was just talking about, they were a chosen race, they were a royal priesthood. Now in verse 6, he says, you have a new birth, you've got an eternal home that is protected by God, but now for a little while, you may have to suffer griefs of all kinds. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in what? May result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy, inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your soul. What is the end result of my faith? It's the salvation of my soul. That's the ultimate desire. But... Peter's real honest. As long as we live in a sinful and a broken world, believers, though we have an eternal home, though we have an all-powerful God, though we, we have a certain future, though we uh, spiritually are completely blessed with all spiritual blessings, is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, right now, I may have to go through some trials. Now, if you look at these trials, let me give you a few thoughts on your difficulties. They're right here from the passage. Number one, They'll come in various forms. Some of you guys, your trials and your difficulties will be occupational. Some of you guys will be health. Some of you guys will be home. Some of you guys will be kids. Some of you guys will be financial. Does that make sense? Some of you guys, some of us people that we know, it'll be mental, a depressive nature. Does that make sense? That, that listen, trials that come our way, they have various forms. How many of you remember what James, the brother of Jesus, said in James chapter 1? He says, don't be shocked when we experience trials of what kind? All kinds, multicolored kinds. That's kind of the idea uh, when they took the Old Testament uh, and they transverted, translated it into the Greek, all right? How many, who knows what that's called? Well, the, 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 the Hebrew Old Testament translated into the Greek. Somebody know what that's called? Septuagint, all right, Septuagint. Guess what word they used to refer, refer to Joseph's many-colored coat in the Old Testament? The same Greek word they use in James chapter 1 that James shows of various kinds of trials. 
So when they translated that Hebrew multicolored coat, they used the same Greek word James used here in James chapter 1. What is he saying? That guess what? There's a shade of trial just your color. I hate that. I want to be honest with you. That doesn't make me feel any better. That I've got a color of trial that affects me. Guess what? That means you've got a color of trial that affects you. You ever walked up to somebody and see them struggling with something, and you go, that's ridiculous. Anybody done that in all the love and compassion you've ever done? How can you struggle with that, right? Man, you walk up with someone, and you see they're struggling with someone, you're like, dude, just get over it. Guess what? That's their colored trial, and it's meant for them. And somebody else, I, 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 don't, I don't understand people that gamble. Huh? Yeah, that wasn't a time to ante up, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, that makes no sense. I mean, I, if I'm going to waste my money, I mean, I realize, let me just say, FYI, you know all those big hotels and stuff built in Vegas? It wasn't because you won. Okay, they could do the math. I, 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 would, I could never be a gambler. I would never be a gambler. Now, I like competing. I like competing against you. But I don't want to compete in a game that I know is stacked against me. I don't. That's just, but guess what? There are people who get addicted to it, right? They're, now, if, if you're a rain man, go beat the dog out of them. I'll cheer you on. Just tithe. Uh, you want to do that. There are, there are things that people struggle with that I don't get. But it's their shade. Satan has found their weakness and attacks them in their space. And some people, they just live life bitter and angry and they destroy every relationship. That is their trial. That is their sin. That is their difficulty. There are some people that they do this. I will tell you, you follow me around, you'll find my shaded trials. You'll find what makes, what, what, what gets me. And I joke about it from the platform, Oreos and banana pudding and stuff like that. You know what? Those are little trials. I mean, there are things in my life, and my wife can tell you, that get me. I do not deal well with grief and loss, personally. I can tell you how to get through it. I can't tell me how to get through it. I found that out. I found that out very well, that I can, tell, I can navigate a lot of other people through a brother's suicide, but I couldn't get me through just the way it is. There are other things that get to me. There are certain things that get to you. Hopefully what you're saying is mine's alcohol. Mine's looking at women. Mine's my finances. Mine's my job. Mine's my personality. Mine's my pride. Mine's my arrogance. Mine's this. Does that make sense? You have a weakness. And you may or may not notice it. You may or may not identify it, but I will guarantee you Satan knows it. FYI, Satan knows it. And he's going to come after you at the place of your weakness, guys. And he's going to keep coming after you. And then when you all of a sudden toughen up in that space, guess what Satan's going to do? He's going to back away. 
and he's going to keep watching. You're going to say, let me let him think he's got this down for a while. And he's watching. As soon as you lower your guard, he's going to come back. And he's going to slip back in. So one, there will be trials that come in various forms. You're saved. Not only that, if you look on in verse 6, we need to be reminded of this, guys. Listen, every trial you go through has a beginning and an end. It's a limited in duration. I love what he says in verse 6. He says, in all this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. What does that mean? Every trial we go through has a beginning and has an end. So if you're in the middle of a trial, if you're in the middle of a hardship, you're in the middle of a difficulty, don't quit. I love the old phrase, if you are going through hell, keep going. I mean, that is a great idea, guys. If you are going through hell, keep going. I love that I think, think one preacher said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Maybe Satan will never notice you were even there. <laughs> yeah, just keep rolling, guys. Don't sit down in hell and make your tent there. Keep rolling. Keep moving, man. Keep rolling. Don't throw a pity party in the middle of your personal struggle, your personal problems. Move through, man. Find somebody that can help you get through. So here's what I need you to know. If you're in your deepest, darkest hour or someone you know is in their deepest, darkest hour, their trial has a beginning and an end. Now, there are trials. Admit it. There are trials that have a short duration but they are deep in intensity, right? There are times, man, it is a crisis-critical moment. It's a train wreck. It's from here to here, but intensity is here. There are other trials that, man, you, it's, a, it's a longer, it's got a beginning, it's got to end, but, you know, the intensity is here. Does that make sense? There are times, that, but every trial we have is a beginning and end. Now, you say, Pastor... So you're saying there's a shade of trial that is coming my way. It will have a beginning and an end. When does the end come? I can't tell you. But I know this. The best way to find it is to keep moving. If you want to make it longer, quit. Start digging the hole deeper. Also honestly examine, was this trial caused by my own sinfulness, my own disobedience? Does that make sense? If it was, stop. put the shovel down and stop digging. Now, there's a reality. I'm going to give you a sad reality. If you get a diagnosis, your trial on this earth might ultimately end with your death. That is a truth. That is a reality. But that's when we get translated into what? That glorious inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven where there's no more dying, no more pain, no more heartache, no more struggle, Nothing. So thought. You have a guaranteed contract. Your salvation is secure for all time, but we can still have trials. Trials come in various forms. Trials have a beginning and end, the limited duration. Here's the last thing. Trials in our lives have a refining quality. Trials in our lives have a refining quality. You say, where do you see that? Right there in verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Every trial we go through refines us a little bit. 
Every trial we go through refines us a little bit. It teaches us a little bit. What, ha- what is he talking? What's the idea? He's saying here, refines us like gold. And when people dig out the ore and the gold is mixed with it and they begin to pull it out and they begin to separate it out, then they get some gold and gold has a lot of impurities, right? They, they heat it up and they skim out the junk. Well, guess what? The only way you get the junk out of gold is by what? Fire. Every one of us has some junk in our lives. I know some of y'all, I'm looking around, some of y'all are more junk than gold. I'm kidding. But how many of you admit you still got some junk in your life? So next time you roll through a trial, maybe what you do is you get in the garden on your knees and say, God, what is it that you're looking to skim out? And instead of making him turn the heat up hotter and hotter and hotter, how about you just offer that up to him? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for this day. God, I thank you for these guys, these guys that are my brothers, my friends, that I know every man in this room is either is going through a trial, is about to go through, or is just coming out of one. God, I, I don't know the various trials they're going through, whether it's job or relationships or health or, uh, or bitterness or pride or finances, whatever it is. God, I pray that, that as the heat is turned up, that we would let your spirit do its refining work on our lives. God, let us be reminded in the trial that we're in that it has a beginning and an end. That ultimately someday we win. We round the bases and we touch home. And the home plate is our eternal home. Where there's no more trials, no more hardship, no more death, no more difficulty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.